we're in John chapter 15 uh, this morning, John chapter 15. Also, do want to invite you to our Wednesday night Bible study as we're going through the Bible, 6.30 on Wednesdays. Uh, there's youth group as well and children's ministry. We are in the book of Genesis in the life of Joseph. Uh, just love, love, love uh, the life of Joseph. So we want to invite you out to the Wednesday night study as well. So Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And as we celebrate Father's Day today, we do ask that you would bless all of the fathers. Lord, that you would just give us grace and you would give us uh, wisdom in our relationship with our children. And we thank you for our Heavenly Father, that you, Dad, are our Heavenly Father, and we are so appreciative of your patience and your compassion and your long-suffering with us. And as we open the Word today and we look at bearing fruit for you. We ask that you would really minister to us and that you would speak to us through your word. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on this Father's Day, if you were going to have some fruit, what would be your most favorite fruit? If you were thinking of a lunch barbecue with, with some fruit, what would it be? I was surprised when I googled uh, the world's most popular fruit. You know what came up in this article? tomatoes. It's like, what in the world? That is not what comes into my mind with the most popular fruit. Like, do you think that a tomato is a vegetable or a fruit? That's quite a debate that's happening in here. I think it kind of does fall technically on the fruit uh, side of things, but that is the most popular fruit from their uh, perspective. But I would probably go for a fresh bowl of berries, wouldn't you? Just a nice, fresh bowl of berries. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the fruitful life. God desiring for us to have a life that bears fruit. The setting of John 15 is so important. Jesus is moments away from him being arrested, betrayed, and crucified. He's just had a last meal with his disciples in the upper room where he washed their feet and also served them in communion. At the end of chapter 14, he says, let us arise from here, and they head towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ is preparing for his crucifixion and his departure from the lives of his disciples, and it's his final instruction in their lives. This section of scripture is just so rich, it's so uh, sacred. What we're gonna cover this morning is so important in our relationship with Christ and being able to bear fruit for his glory. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus gives us the last of his seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. If you'll remember that John, he recorded specific things for us. The Gospel of John is not chronological. He's not trying to give us an exhaustive, detailed description of Jesus' life. He focused on seven miracles and seven I am statements for the purpose that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that through believing, we would have life in his name. So hopefully as we've been studying the Gospel of John, our belief in Jesus has been increased, and we're experiencing the abundant life that he has for us. So this is the last of those I am statements. I am is a statement of deity, going back to the Old Testament when Moses was being prepared to go back to Egypt. He asked God, who's sending me? I want to know your name. And God says, I am that I am, the statement of absolute power. 
And as Christ is God, he begins to describe to us the character and nature of God in these I am statements. I am the door, I'm the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And here Jesus tells us, I am the true vine. So that means there are alternative vines to Christ. And Jesus is the true vine. He is the one that is the ultimate source of life. And we can easily connect in other things to try to find life and satisfaction, but Christ alone is the true vine. Also, it's very helpful to look at where Jesus is as this is uh, taking place. You have the Temple Mount and you have Jerusalem and then there's a Kidron Valley. It's a really a, a pretty small uh, valley that leads to the Garden of Gethsemane. And through this section, there would have been vineyards. There's a lot of vineyards in Israel. There's a lot of vineyards in Jerusalem. There's still a lot of vineyards in, in Jerusalem. So Christ is either right in the midst of a vineyard as he's speaking this or it's within eyes of you jesus loved to take what was right around the disciples and use this as an opportunity to teach he would take the physical and cause them to understand a spiritual application so they're looking at a vineyard and he's saying look i am the true vine you are the branches as you're connected to me then you're going to experience life he describes the father as the vine dresser. That's the role of the father is, is he's the one who's taking care of the vineyard, making sure that this vineyard is, is healthy. In verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So every branch that does not bear fruit, the, the father, the vine dresser, takes away. We have a really good visual of this right now in Colorado Springs with trees because of that crazy storm we had in May. So much wet snow in May, and it did a number on the branches. So there's branches that were alive that are now dead. A lot of those branches are still hanging up in trees, aren't they? Because they didn't fall all the way out. So they're dead, they're broken off, but they're still hanging up in the tree. And it doesn't take too long for those branches to not be connected to the trunk to reveal their death, doesn't it? Eventually, the homeowners, us, we're going to go, I got to get someone up there to cut those down. A lot of us husbands have probably asked for permission from our wives to climb up the tree and cut them out. And Amber told me no, so I wasn't able to do that probably good, kept me from out, of, out of the hospital. But that's a visual for us to see the importance of being plugged into to Christ. And so for those that aren't plugged into Christ, eventually the Father is going to come and cut them off of, of the tree. Because it's not fruit for salvation. It's not fruit being required to be saved, but it's fruit evidence of salvation. As we're connected to Jesus, there's going to be fruit that uh, takes place in our lives. But how about in this vineyard, those branches that are bearing fruit? Is The Father is going to come and he's going to prune, he's going to cleanse those branches so that they can bear more fruit. So if you're taking notes, the fruitful life is pruned slash cleansed. Pruned slash cleansed because... In the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, it's the same Greek word that's used, that's translated pruned, that's translated 
clean in verse three. Jesus uses the same exact word. He says, the father's gonna prune you. And then in verse three, he says, but you're already pruned, you're already cleansed because of the word that I have spoken to you. So the idea of this is you have a branch in a vineyard that has all these grapes on it and it's heavy laden and here comes the father, here comes the vine dresser and is gonna prune to lift up that branch so that that branch can even bear more fruit. And God's primary way of pruning us, his primary way of cleansing us so we can bear more fruit is through his word. That's how he's gonna do that pruning work in our lives. So you should be encouraged as you spend time in God's word, when you have those ouch moments with God's word, you ever have that, right? You're reading God's word and you're like, oh man, that is for me. That, that is convicting. That is the father loving you, pruning you enough so that we can even bear more fruit. Those times when we're studying God's word together and the spirit of God uses the word of God and we get corrected by God's word. And God's word is powerful to be able to do that. So, if we're interested in the fruitful life, if we're like, man, I want to bear fruit that lasts, that remains for the Father's glory, we want to be in God's word. We want to spend time in God's word because this is how God is going to cleanse us. This is how he is going to purify us is through uh, the word of God. It's, it's the greatest spiritual discipline that we can develop in our lives is to spend a few moments every day in God's word. This morning, I was just reminded of the power of that. I had 15 minutes this morning just to read in the Psalms, and it was so refreshing for me. It was so refreshing for my soul and my relationship with the Lord. God can do a lot with a little bit of time, can't he? Pick a book of the Bible and say, man, I'm just going to read through this book of the Bible. I'm going to ask that God would speak to me, that he would reveal himself to me. But it's very difficult to have the growth that God desires and we desire without the, the word of God. So we look at verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the true vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the fruitful life is abiding, not striving. This is very key to John's understanding. John writes the gospel of John. He also writes three epistles later in the New Testament. He uses this word over and over, abide. He'll use it in this chapter alone 11 times to to abide. In this gospel, he uses it 40 times. And then in his epistle, he uses it 27 times. I think if John were having a cup of coffee with us today, he would say, the Christian life is to abide in Jesus. The Christian life is to remain in Jesus. So this word abide means to remain or stay. So how do we abide in Christ? What does it mean to remain in Christ? Well, first, we're connected to Christ as a branch through faith. You cannot be in Christ without faith, amen? And it's faith in who he is, it's faith in what he's done, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, and through that death upon the cross and resurrection, we're saved and we're the children of God. And there's a point in time if you're a believer or you chose to trust Christ for salvation, but hopefully you're continuing in that place of faith. Hopefully you're remaining in that place of faith. 
You're saying, I continue to trust that Jesus died for my sins. I'm continuing to be drawn to the cross, that it's not my works, but it's the work of Christ. And we remain in that faith. We remain in trusting in the gospel. We're connected to Christ through love and devotion and and adoration where Jesus has our awe. He has our attention. We're so thankful that he's the vine. Worship is such a, a practical and important way for us to stay connected to Jesus being the vine. As we're going to see in this text, our obedience, choosing to walk in obedience is a way of us abiding in uh, the love of Christ. But guys, let's not make this too complicated. It's all about Jesus. It's all about a relationship with him, walking with him, enjoying him, being connected to him. And as we're connected to Christ, notice that what happens. It says, A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. As we're abiding in Jesus, the fruit's going to come. So it's not through striving, but it's through abiding. When you do look at trees or you look at a vineyard, the branches are not striving. Apple trees are not in our backyard saying, I need more fruit. I want to be a better apple tree. I want to have more fruit. Oh, I've got to have more fruit, right? They just hang out. They hang in there, connected to the trunk. And then what happens? God brings the fruit. God provides the fruit. And sometimes we approach our relationship with God, even our time in God's word of like, I need to be a better Christian. i got to read my Bible so I can have more fruit, right? It doesn't go too well. i got to go to church so I can be a better dad. You know, I, I got to go to church so I can be a better spouse. We're striving. We've got we to get more fruit. We've got to have more victory in our lives. But if we approach the word of God and we go, God, you're so good. I want to get in your word to know you. That's a different heart attitude, isn't it? God, I'm looking so forward to coming to church to, to worship you, to walk with you. To, and then the fruit comes in, in our lives. So don't focus on the fruit. Focus on Jesus. And as you focus on Jesus, the fruit is going to to come. The fruit's going to begin to overflow from your life. Jesus gives us a clarity statement in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Seems obvious, but sometimes we can forget this. We're not the vine. Take a deep breath. You are not the vine. You are not the source of life, right? Right? I am not the source of life. We cannot produce this fruit that we long for. Jesus is the vine. He is salvation. He is the one that empowers us for fruit. And Jesus says, you are not the vine. You're the branches. Keep that clear. Keep that straight. Then he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. As you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. So what is fruit from God's perspective? What what does fruit look like? There's several places in scripture that answer that question for us. In Romans chapter one, it says to win souls is bearing fruit. So when your life touches someone else's life with the gospel, with the love of Jesus Christ, they can see our lives as a witness to Jesus by God's grace, that's bearing fruit, right? Apples produce more apples, And Christians, by God's grace, we should produce more Christians, right? So as we're abiding in Jesus and loving Jesus, hopefully people that don't know Jesus 
can see the reality of, of Christ in our lives. Later on in Romans, it talks about financial giving as bearing fruit. We're bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 1 talks about practically helping someone is bearing fruit. And Hebrews 13, it talks about the fruit of our lips. When we offer praise to God, it's the fruit of our, of our lips. That's the work of Jesus in our lives. Apart from Jesus, there's a lot of complaining that comes out of our lips, right? There's a lot of nastiness that comes out of our mouths. But as we abide in Christ, and there's that fruit of praise in our lives. And then the greatest expression of, of fruit that we see is in Galatians chapter 5, where the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness, the fruits of the Spirit. So as we are spending time with Christ and abiding in Christ, then the fruit comes. You'll bear much fruit. And Jesus instructs us, for without me, you can do nothing. This is going to blow your mind. Nothing means no thing. Nothing. There's nothing that we can do apart from Jesus. But in Christ, we can do all things. In Christ, we can bear fruit for his name. So the fruitful life is also dependency. It's dependency. Jesus is saying, if you're going to bear fruit, you're going to abide in me, but you have to depend upon me. And sometimes in our relationship with the Lord, we try to do it on our own. It's easy to try to do things in our own strength and not to rely upon, upon the Lord. It takes humility to rely upon the vine in order to, to bear fruit. It takes humility to say, man, I can do nothing apart from the Lord. And it also takes surrender. So if I'm going to rely upon the Lord, I've got to surrender to him. I've got to surrender to the vine and be willing to take myself out of the equation. For me personally, to try to make this practical, how do I know if I'm depending upon the Lord? That can be a, a hard question to answer, right? For me, it really comes down to my prayer life. When I'm not praying, I'm really trying to do things independent of the Lord. I'm not realizing it. I'm not cognitively come to this conclusion, but my actions are communicating to the Lord. I got this. I, I got this day figured out, or even I'm too busy to pray. That's a crazy statement, isn't it? It's more like I'm too busy to not pray, right? But if I'm not crying out to God, asking for his help, then I really am walking independently of him. So prayer really lets us know whether we're depending upon the Lord. When we're in a place where we're asking for his help, where we're asking for his guidance, where we're depending upon him, that's a very practical expression of, Lord, I need your help. Lord, would you come and would you make this, this work? And sometimes in life, we can go on an autopilot, can't we? We can just put it on autopilot. We're like, just kind of cruise, cruising through, through life. And then usually it's a trial. Usually it's a difficulty or a failure that brings us back to this place of dependency. But we can choose to walk in dependency. The more that we're in this place of saying, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need your guidance. Would you help me through, through the power of, of your spirit? In verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's a cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So remember, how do we abide in Christ? Through faith in the gospel. So if we're 
in faith in Christ, then we are connected to the vine and fruit will come uh, in our lives. But if someone's not connected to Jesus, they don't have salvation and there's ultimately eternal judgment that comes. I love verse seven. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. The fruitful life, number four, is the matching of desires. It's the matching of desires. As Jesus is living in us and we're living in his word, then we can ask of the Father our desires and he's gonna give it to us. So what happens is Jesus lives in us and we live in his word is our desire becomes his desire. Because if we're asking things just on our own selfishness, God's not gonna grant it to us. But when we're praying according to his desire, God's gonna grant it to us. And that's the beauty of delighting in the Lord, isn't it? That's the beauty of walking with the Lord. As you have grown in the Lord, have you found yourself to care about more things that God cares about? You're like, man, my heart is moved for those that don't know Jesus. Man, my heart is moved for, for my family. Man, my, my heart is moved for, for my coworkers. What's, what's going on here? I'm starting to care about the things that, that God cares about. Now, be careful with this because our sinful desire is alive and well, isn't it? And it doesn't take very much to move us into that, that selfish place. But if we're in that place where we're delighting in the Lord, we can have confidence that, man, here, I desire for God to work in my marriage in a godly way. I, I desire that God would work in my kids' lives. For those of you who are single, you're like, man, I want to navigate s- singleness in a way that glorifies the Lord. Well, well, that is a prayer that lines up with God's desire, too crazy. God wants to move in your marriage, right? God wants to move in the life of your kids. And so it's a beautiful thing as we're walking with Christ, as we're in his word, that our desires become his desires. In verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So how is the father glorified? By us bearing fruit. So the fruitful life is to bring glory to God. The fruitful life is to bring glory to God. Fruit never exists for itself. You don't see an apple eating an apple. You don't see berries eating berries. Fruit is created and designed for someone else to enjoy. And sometimes I think we get this backwards. We go, I want to walk with Christ. I want to abide in his love so that I can have fruit in my life, and this fruit is going to make my life better. Now, yes, it will. It will add value to your life, but the purpose is not how to have the best life now. The purpose is how do I glorify the Father? How is the Father glorified, and how are others loved through my life? And so this bearing fruit is to give glory to the Father. Also, we live in a very self-focused culture and we need to be careful in our motivations to say, you know what, am I doing this so that I can receive glory? Or is my heart in this place of, I want the Father to be glorified. I want people to see how good God is. And that was the heart of Jesus. He was always wanting to show people how wonderful the Father is. It is a great thing when there's a group of people that are serving the Lord where they don't want the credit. They just want God to get the credit. 
They don't care if their name is mentioned. They don't care if they're noticed. They simply want to bring glory to to the Father. And so the fruitful life is to bring glory to the Father. In verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Think about that for just a moment. That's so powerful. As the Father has loved Jesus, Jesus loves you with that same love. One of the things that the Father communicates through the life of Jesus is how much he loved his Son. When the Father would speak audibly from heaven in a voice that could be heard, it was always communicating how much he loved his Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What's the Father saying? This is my boy right here. I love this guy. I'm so proud of my son, Jesus. I love Jesus, right? Hey, world, I want you to know I love this guy. When we think of the gospel, it's that only begotten was crucified for our son, that for our sin. That means that, that Jesus is so loved by, by the Father. And we get to this place, and we realize, okay, this love that Jesus received is the love that Jesus is pouring out upon us. That is a tremendous amount of love. That's the kind of love that this world cannot even begin to describe. Man, I, I got to work this in a little bit on Father's Day. Being a dad is the best. I love being a dad. God's blessed me with four kids that I absolutely adore, three girls and, and a boy, and each one is so special and has added so much value to my life. And at different moments of their life, I'm just filled with joy. I'm like, man, this is my daughter. This is my little girl. This is, this is my son. And that is just a small portion of the way that our Heavenly Father feels about Jesus and that Jesus feels about us. I know today brings up some pain in some of your lives because you go, man, my earthly dad wasn't there for me. My earthly dad brought a lot of pain in my life. And if you can see that you are loved by the Father and he communicated that by giving his son to you. This doesn't best describe God's love for us, but it does in a small way is Jesus is into you. He's into you. He loves you. He cares about you. He designed you. He, he wants to be in relationship with you. At least for me, as a dad, I don't feel passive about my love for my kids. It's not a passive thing in my life like, oh, I love my kids. It's like, man, I can't even begin to put it into words, my love that I have for my, my kids. And God's love towards you is not passive. It's not one where he's like, you know, I kind of love you. You're saved, but I don't really want to spend eternity with you. you know, just just kind of go over there and, and do your thing, and we'll have this, this distant relationship. And it's this amazing expression of love that God pours out upon us. And church, I think that this is the key to this passage, is really believing and receiving the love that Jesus wants to lavish upon you. Paul wrote to a group of really solid believers in the book of Ephesians, and he prays for them. He says, I'm getting on my knees for you, and this was his prayer, that you would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. This is a group of people that already knows the love of God. 
And he's saying, you don't know the love of God like you could know the love of God. I want you to go deeper into the love of God that you would know the height and the depth and the width of God's love, that you would know the dimensions of God's love. No matter how long you have walked with the Lord, there is deeper understanding of God's love to be gained. And as we live in and we abide in and we believe that God loves us, then that correlates into us being able to to love others. If I really understand the grace that God has given me and how he has so freely forgiven me by his grace, then when someone sins against me, it's much easier to offer grace. It's much easier to offer forgiveness because I understand to the degree that, that I'm loved. If I understand how much that Christ has sacrificed for me upon the cross, then when God is asking me to love someone in a sacrificial way, I go, oh yeah, I get it. Jesus, you sacrificed for me, and now it's my turn to sacrifice for someone else. And so abiding in that love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying, if you're going to live in my love, you'll keep my commandments, just as I've kept the Father's commandments. And in just a moment, he's going to explain what his commandment is. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The end of chapter 14, we learned that Jesus gives us his peace, not just any peace, but his peace. And now in verse 11, Jesus is offering us his joy. Jesus went through his life with joy. Not happiness based on his circumstances, but a deep-rooted joy based on an understanding of who his father is. And he's saying, disciples, you too can have my joy. And as Jesus lived out this life of love, he was filled with joy. As we live out a life of love, love for the Father, love for those around us, joy enters into our lives. I don't know about you, but I could use more of Christ's joy in my life. I could grow in this understanding and living in the reality of the joy of Christ. John, who writes this gospel in his epistle, says something very similar. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father, And with his son, Jesus Christ, in these things we write to you that your joy may be full. John says, where is joy found? It's found in fellowship with the Father. It's found in fellowship with Jesus. That's where our joy is going to be fulfilled. There's many things to be able to enjoy in life, but they can't fulfill us like our relationship with our Father. And as we're spending time with God and we're walking with God, In that sweet fellowship, that's where our joy is fulfilled. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. What's Christ's command? How is he wanting us to live? What does fruit really look like? It's to love one another the way that Christ has loved us. So we think about, okay, how has Jesus loved me? How is Jesus currently loving me in my life? Now I get to love other people in the same way. Jesus did not say, okay, this is my command, disciples. I want you to be the best theologians that have ever existed. Those guys are already around. They're called Pharisees. And they missed the message of God. They missed that God is loved. And they missed loving others. 
if we don't have love, we don't have anything. If we spend time with the Lord and spend time in his word and it doesn't correlate in us understanding his love and loving others, somehow we've missed it. Somehow we've missed the message of God. It is possible to study the scriptures and miss the message of God. It's love. It really is about loving one another, the way that Christ has loved us. And Jesus focuses specifically on his sacrificial love. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Christ is about ready to go to the cross for the disciples to be crucified for them, to literally lay down his life for the disciples. And so Jesus is calling us to lay down our lives for one another. Let's think about this a little bit deeper. Jesus calls the disciples friends, but are they without fault? No. These guys are still in a tough place. Peter's gonna deny the Lord. Judas is gonna betray Christ. When did Jesus die for us? He died for us while we were still sinners, while we were a mess. Christ made the sacrifice while we were a mess, not while our lives were more put together by him. So God is calling us to sacrificially love others when? When their life is a mess. We enter into their world and we die there because that's what Jesus did did for us. And it's hard enough to sacrifice for someone's life when there's someone who contributes back into our life. That's even difficult in and of itself, but Jesus is asking us to go deeper. He's asking us to enter into someone's life, enter into their world, and die there when their life is a mess, (laughs) simply for the purpose of expressing the love that we have received. Did, Did you have anybody in your life like that? that really showed you the love of Christ? You didn't care about the things of Christ. Your life was falling apart. Your life was a mess. And someone says, man, I'm just going to love you. I'm going to get into your world and I'm going to pay the price for some of the mistakes that, that, that you're, you're making. And it showed you, it opened up your eyes to the love of Christ. Now, please remember the context of this. The only way we can love like this is being connected to the vine. As we're connected to the vine, then Jesus is the one that empowers us for this. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So this is an interesting thing that we see in our relationship with Jesus. Is Jesus saying, you you are my friend, but there's an authority structure in our friendship with Jesus. It's not that Jesus is just our bro. It's not that Jesus is just our hangout buddy, that he is our peer. You know, we all have friends that are peers and maybe we're in the same season of life and and we do things uh, together. And our relationship with Christ is one of friendship where he's the boss. Does that make sense? Where he's our Lord. And there's this deep reverence for Christ and inside of that, there's friendship. Inside of that, there, there is fellowship. In verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I have commanded to you. So a servant or a slave doesn't know the agenda, the business, the heart of the master. But Jesus says, you're not my slaves, you're not servants, you're my friends, because I've communicated everything that's on the heart of the father. This is a side note, but I think it's helpful, is how do we grow in friendship? 
Follow the model of Jesus of sacrificing for the needs of others and then communicate your heart to them. We live in a really lonely culture and I think sometimes we have forgotten how to do relationship. We, we don't know how to be a good friend. So here we are living in isolation going, well, how do I have good friendships? The way to have a good friendship is to be friendly. If you serve others, if you lay down your life for others and you communicate your heart to them, you're probably going to have some good friends. You're probably going to have some, some great relationships. Verse 16 You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This is so encouraging for the disciples. He says, guys, I chose you. I wanted you to be on my team. And as we look at God choosing us, a lot of times it causes a lot of theological discussion So did God choose me or did I choose the Lord? Are we responsible to choose the Lord? And we see throughout scripture that God does choose us, but yet he also holds us responsible to to choose him. But don't get lost in the theological discussion. Get stoked that Jesus chose you. I mean, Jesus knows the disciples inside and out and he still chose them. (laughs) The amazingness of this is that God knows us everything about us, but yet he still chooses us because he loves us. Did you guys ever play like a pickup game at recess at school? That's the only reason I went to school was for the pickup games. I I would just watch the clock waiting for for recess to go play a pickup game of of football in the the school uh, parking lot. But inevitably there would be team captains and there was always one or two kids that didn't get chosen. And then usually the conversation was like, well, we had Johnny last time, it's your turn to take Johnny. And it stinks to be Johnny. Like, I mean, you've, man, it's just so hard to, to, to be Johnny. Well, guess what? Jesus, the ultimate captain, says, I want you on my team. I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna forgive you, but I'm also gonna empower you and equip you so you're gonna bear fruit that's gonna remain. The fruitful life is something that lasts for eternity. If God uses your life to touch someone else with the love of Jesus Christ, that lasts for all of eternity. How cool is that? I mean, that's better than anything else in this life. That's better than any vacation or any amount of money or any vehicle. Man, you were just used by God for someone to have eternal life. I'm sure they're going to find you around the throne room of God and say, oh, thank you so much for showing me the love of Jesus Christ. God used you to bring me to Christ. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience that you invest in someone else's life, that remains. That remains for all of eternity. It's worthwhile. I think the disciples are sitting here going, man, I'm a knucklehead. I can hardly figure this out. And Jesus is telling me that he chose me? And that he's going to cause my life to bear fruit for his name. The end of verse 16, once again, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples about prayer. This comes up over and over in this section of John, of praying in Christ's name. We've talked about this at length already, of, of not abusing prayer, but how about learning what Jesus is talking about? God, show us the, the value of prayer Teach us what it really means to pray in your name. It was really important that the disciples would get this. 
And we're left in verse 17. These things I've commanded you that you love one another. We're brought back to love. We're brought back to the importance of love. So this whole passage, it boils down to abiding and loving. Abiding and loving. And for us, as we look at a new week and we head into the middle of June here, it's to say, wow, look how wonderful Jesus is. Look at how wonderful the vine is. I'm connected to Jesus and abide in him and abide in that love and believe that love. Spend time there, stay, remain there. And as we abide in Christ, the the fruit is gonna come. The love is gonna come uh, for others. We're gonna prepare to take communion. Communion will be served uh, to you this morning. It's a wonderful way for us to take communion. It expresses that we're the body of Christ. And as we prepare our hearts for, for communion, be reminded of the Father's great love for you. Be reminded by Jesus' uh, great love for you. Also, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, God gives us some instructions on communion. Uh, that communion is something that we do as we understand who Jesus is. And so, if you don't understand who Jesus is, or maybe you say, I, I don't want Christ in my life, I, I reject Christ, then, then communion is something that God reserves for those that do understand and appreciate who, who Christ is. Now, some of you hearing that might be saying, well, should I take, take communion? If you love Christ, if you appreciate Christ, you adore Christ, absolutely you should take communion because we take communion based on Christ's worth. But more importantly, if you have rejected Christ, God gives you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. As you're looking at this and you're going, I don't know if I'm connected to Jesus in this way. The way that you are put into Christ is through faith, to receive a free gift of salvation, to believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. Sin is to miss the mark. If you're shooting at a target and you miss by just a little bit, And the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But Jesus came and he died upon the cross and rose again that all who believe, all who repent and believe are saved. It's simple, but it does involve a decision on your part, a decision to say, Jesus, I believe you and I trust you. So as we pray, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior, to raise your hand to Christ, to say, Jesus, I want to be saved. I want to be your child and I'll lead you in a prayer. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that salvation is your work, that you draw us unto yourself. Lord, for those that don't know you, we ask that this morning that you would just reveal your love to them, that you would confirm in their heart, show them that you created them, that you sent your son to die uh, for them. 